a study in the book of Jude. It's one chapter, guys. It's one chapter. But there's a, a whole lot in there. And I'll just give it to you right away. The main theme that we're going to cover is deception versus truth. Okay? Deception versus truth. Say that with me. Deception versus truth. Okay? And if you guys were, were uh, keep your thumb or whatever on Jude, but I want to open up by reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Because, again, the main thing is what? Truth. Deception versus truth. In John 8, 32... Jesus tells his disciples something that is powerful about truth. He says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's not anything else. He says it's going to make you free. He says truth is going to make you free. What does that mean? Before we get any further... As you're considering what does that mean, let's pray, and we'll get right into the Word. Father, I thank you for your Word, its truth. Lord, there's so much lies that we've been told, so much lies that exist out there. We've been trained to think in the way of the world, and we've been deceived by many different practices And we've ended up in bondage to sin. And Father, we want to be lovers of the truth. We want to be free. God, we don't want to be bowing down to any other false gods, to anything, Lord God, that would bring us under its daily mastering. We want you to be our master. We don't want some drug, some substance, some idea, some person other than you, Jesus, to be Lord of all, to be the number one in our life. We, we want to have freedom. We know that you're good, that you don't want to punish us. You want to give us freedom, and you want us to use that freedom as a way to witness for you. And so, Father, as you give us freedom, as you untangle the lies from our mind, the strongholds that have built up throughout the years of our own self-deception and the deception of the world, I pray that we would be courageous and accept the truth, that we wouldn't hide from it, we wouldn't turn away from it, but we would embrace it and be made to change. I pray that you would change us from the inside out, and you would wash us and cleanse us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now back to John. Jesus is telling them, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Truth shall make you free. And uh, for a lot of us, you know, that is a very powerful passage because if you've ever ended up in bondage to something, you know that you're desperately trying to get free. And Jesus doesn't tell us that some, it's like some pill or some method. He says, it's truth. Truth sets you free. And the main battle that's going on is is the battle in our mind, right? The the thoughts 
the way we process and the way we respond to God, right? When we hear truth, it's supposed to bring about a response. And a good response gets good results. But if you hear the truth and you don't respond to the truth the right way, then you fall into a web of self-deception and you fall into a painful cycle that eventually leads to death and, and that sin. Once you know the truth, you can't unknow the truth. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Truth, once it's revealed, and, and God is so powerful when he... It's not like we just read the words and then we just say, well, that's good. No, we have to do something. We are required to respond to the truth. If we don't, that's bad. <laughs> Let's just say that. It's bad because... Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want anybody to get the idea that you can just play around with the truth. You can't. Once you know the truth, you have to respond the right way. Back to the book of Jude, or it's really an epistle, right? You know what an epistle is? You guys know what what that is? It's it's a letter, right? It's a, a basically a short message. Now, Jude, he's an interesting guy. I mean, his life was really interesting. You know who Jude's brother was? James. And you know who Jude and James's brother was? Jesus. How'd you like to grow up in that household? <laughs> right? Like, Jude and James are always fighting and blaming each other and stuff, but Jesus never does anything wrong. <laughs> you know? Imagine having a, like, why don't you just be like Jesus? He's God. <laughs> I'm just trying to eat my Cheerios, right? You know? And, <laughs> what a standard, right? Yeah, he's Jesus' brother. You can look at Matthew 13, 55 for a reference for that. Um, it's, it's actually the fourth shortest book in the New Testament. There's uh, Philemon or Philemon, depending on how you're rolling that week. And then there's 3 John and 2 John. Those are the next shortest epistles. Um, well, actually, 2 and 3 John are shorter than Philemon, but um, it's a small book, but it's got so much in there. I want to, I want to read the whole thing because, um, you know, just to get the whole context in there, and this is really just a, a foundation that we're laying for for the next, you know, month or so. That we're gonna we're gonna look at this this whole idea of deception versus truth. And this has so much with what we deal with on a daily basis. It deals so much with how we are supposed to respond, like I said, to truth. And then it it deals so much with false truth, right? False truth, guys. There's a lot of false truth. We we want it to be true. But it's not true because it, if somebody wants to deceive you guys, there's, the, there's a guy, I don't know if you know about him, his name is Satan, <laughs> and he's the father of lies. He's called the father of lies, and he sent out many different ideas out there, and they all take you to places other than, you know, Jesus. Anyway, let's, let's read, and then we'll begin to... Break it down some. Verse 1 says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. And, and I like, 
He doesn't put and Jesus' brother in there <laughs> because that would be, you know, prideful and manipulative possibly. But it says to those who are called and sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's powerful. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet, Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these, thi in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy of faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, 
To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now I want to challenge you before the end of this study, I want to challenge you to memorize this one verse. Verse 24. I, I think it deals with us so powerfully, this truth says that he's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I think sometimes we come here Friday night worried, <laughs> scared, and God is going to keep you from stumbling, right? says, him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. He's able to keep you from stumbling, and he's able to present you faultless. In fact, he already sees us faultless. And guess what? Right now in this room, where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst of them. It says, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's a very powerful verse, and I challenge you to memorize it by the end of this. In fact, you can memorize it by the end of the night, but keep it as a memory verse. So that way you can pull it out when you feel like, man, I feel like I'm going to fall. I feel like I'm going to stumble. The Bible says he's able to keep me from stumbling. You're not able to keep yourself from stumbling, but he's able to keep you from stumbling. That's a fact. How do you respond to that? Right? How do you, what do you do with that? You say, no, that's not a lie. That, I mean, that's not true. That's a lie. Because he didn't keep me from stumbling. It's not God's will that you stumble, right? That's my challenge. Go back up to verse 1 so we can begin to look deeper into these things. Now, I'm going to give you six things that the book touches on. The first one is he's challenging people, specifically that he's writing to. Now, there's no real way of knowing which group of people he was writing to, but he was writing to a group of people who were believers. And he was telling them, I was going to write to you a little message about salvation. Everybody has salvation, but I really felt like I needed to tell you to contend for the faith. So that's the first thing, to fight, contend, right? You know, the contender, remember that boxing show? Why don't they have that anymore? I love boxing. Well, when you're a contender, that means you're a fighter and you're contending for the prize, right? Contend for the faith, that's the first one. Second one is apostates. Now, that's something that, that we're going to talk about a lot. An apostate is somebody who starts off in the truth or starts off desiring the truth, but they end up in a falsehood somewhere. They end up in a lie somewhere. They end up leaving the truth and going off to find their own truth. So an apostate is somebody who is a Christian or seemingly looks like a Christian, and they hang around other Christians, but in the end, it turns out they really weren't. And they thought they were too, but then they believed a lie. So that, that's an apostate. There's some old apostates that he's going to talk about, some new ones, some upcoming ones. There's, the old ones are the, the angels, right, that were in heaven. They, they fell. They, they started off in heaven, but they fell. And then the new ones, there's a, 
there's a great apostasy, a great falling away from the truth that the Bible describes in the end times. So, um, and I believe we live in those times. And then he, he also talks, so that's the second thing about new and old apostates. The third one is, uh, again, apostates, but he describes their depravity. He, that means their, their utter darkness, their sinfulness. And he describes the doom, the, the eternal judgment that an apostate falls into, right? And just to remind you, an apostate, when, when we die in our sin as an addict, you would be considered apostate at that point. And that's, that's a fact, according to the Bible. I didn't make that up. Very important we understand what the Bible is, is telling us here. Um, he talks, number four, he talks about the coming apostasy, the coming falling away from the truth. Now, if you love the truth, that means that you desire God to, to change you. And sometimes it, that hurts, and we have to embrace that, but it doesn't mean that you can run away from it. You have to embrace the truth. I don't want to hear that. It's, it doesn't work like that. Man, I'm, I'm brutal, huh? This, this, it's okay. You could throw an egg at me after. Just wait till after, though. All right, the fifth one is maintaining your life with God. Well, man, that sounds a little bit more cheerful. How do I neatly maintain my life with God? Well, he gives us some instruction in that. Some really, really good instruction. Um, you know, it's like maintaining your car, right? Regular services, uh, diligence, you know, rotate the tires, you know, read the Bible every day, that kind of stuff. Hey, that's, that's, let's get to the cheerful part. Well, we have to get through the dark cloud and, <laughs> and the maze to be able to get to that. And, um, but through all of this, I'm expecting God to, to do a work in me to change me, and I'm expecting him, if you accept the truth too, to do the same for you. Amen? The last one, and the best one, is glory to God. That's the final subject that we'll talk about. Glory to God. Or it's called a doxology. Doxology, that just means glory to God. Um, and we'll talk about how our lives are supposed to give glory to God. So, just laying that out there, Jude is a bondservant in verse 1. Bondservants are people who were slaves once, right? And in the Jewish system, you could only be indebted or, or a slave to somebody for seven years, and they have to free you. If you owe somebody and you can't pay them, like you, you default on a loan, and in those days, there's people who would loan money, and if you couldn't pay that loan, well, then you became a slave. You're indebted to a person, but at the end of that seven years, they have to release you, but it turns out that your life was better than the life you had before, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to leave my master. He takes care of me pretty good. I have food every day. I have a roof over my head. I enjoy the work I do. I kind of like this. And so instead of leaving the household to go start your life off again, you say, you know what? I want to become a bond servant. And I guess supposedly in those days they would get your ear and put it, put it on, a, on a door. And symbolically, well, it, it was physically, literally, they would 
tack your, your ear to a door, and that would mean that you became that person's bond servant. Well, I think that they would take the tack out, <laughs> maybe put in an earring. I see one of our friends here with uh, some gauges. Bond servant right there. There you, there you go. There's my man back there. Bond servant. That's a calling for all of us. We're all supposed to become bond servants. Jesus buys us out of slavery. That's what addiction is, slavery. Every day you're slaving for the cruel master. Jesus buys us. He frees us. He says, you're free to go. And he said, you, you, if you're thankful and you realize that what I'm saying here is you're supposed to become a bondservant, you can go your way or you can become a bondservant to Jesus and say, you're really good to me. Why would I ever leave you? Right? Why would I ever leave a good, good God who freed me and gave me the liberty and he has everything I ever needed? Why would I leave him? Become a bondservant then. If that's been done for you, if your eyes are open to that. And that's why I think this first verse is so humble. And that's, that's a major mark of um, Jude. He's very humble. He doesn't say he's Jesus' brother. He says he's a, he's a bondservant. Man, before we get anything in our life, we, we, we have to understand when Jesus frees us, the only option that we can do, the only way we can repay him is to become a bondservant, to serve him with our life, our body, our mind, our soul. Everything should be given up to him. And, and he says he's a bondservant of his brother, Jesus Christ. And actually, technically, he's only his half-brother, right? That still counts, right? Blood's thicker than water, right? So he's the brother of James. James, at this time, guys, he's the leader of the whole church. And at that time, the church really um, was only really in Jerusalem and maybe a few other little missionary expeditions. But James died in a way that they threw him off a building. They killed him. All these guys who became bondservants end up giving their lives for Jesus. You still want to become a bondservant? <laughs> they were willing to give their whole lives even if they had to die. That's how committed they, these guys were. And people don't die for a God that's not real, you know? But these guys knew Jesus was real. How committed are you? How real is Jesus to you? Is he just an idea? Is he a theory? Or is Jesus real enough to you that you would die for your witness in Christ? That's how local you have to be. <laughs> hey, man, we're so committed to our sin, right, that we would, in the middle of the night... Man, just take cigarettes, right? <laughs> Middle of the night, you know what? I need to smoke. So I'm going to get up at 3 in the morning and go buy me a pack of cigarettes. Am I right? Man, Jesus is calling you to pray in the middle of the night. Man, I'm going to get up and pray. That's that desire. It doesn't happen right away. It first starts off with the daily discipline. It's like, all right, I'm going to commit myself to do this, and there's going to be a benefit. There's going to be a result at the end of this daily discipline. And you start you know, getting in the Word of God daily, getting into prayer daily. You start denying yourself, denying the stuff that, 
that you, you usually do. You start changing your thoughts. And after a while, that daily discipline all of a sudden morphs like a butterfly into a daily desire, right? Understand, it doesn't start off as a desire, but it turns into a daily desire, right? You guys get what I'm saying? A daily desire is not <laughs> the first thing. You know what? I want to read the word of God and pray every day. Maybe you do. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, but if you're like me, slow and just, what do you do next? <laughs> then you just create these daily disciplines. It starts off very simple. Let's not overcomplicate it. Get into the word of God daily. Get into prayer daily. Hold yourself accountable to the things that you know are right. And when you discover more of what, what you're supposed to do, then you start doing that. You start applying the word, right? As you read it, as you understand it, if you don't know it, you ask somebody and you apply the word. You're one of those who are called and sanctified. You know what sanctification means? Every believer, every, every Christian starts off as a baby in Christ, right? Well, okay, you're born again, but you're barely born again, okay? And you're like a baby, and then God begins to add to your spiritual walk. You're not supposed to stay a baby, but you start off and you drink the milk of the word. You drink it and you, you get stronger and bigger. And, you know, you're two, three months old in the Lord. You know, some people grow faster in the Lord. Okay. And all of a sudden, you're like a, a youth group age kind of, you know, believer. You know a little bit more. You're still, you know, playing around, compromising with sin. And eventually you get to a point where you're supposed to be mature. You're not perfect because we're never perfect until we reach heaven, but you have become sanctified through that process. You're pulled along. You're, you're, you're not staying stagnant. You're not staying a babe in Christ. It's good if you can admit that you're a babe in Christ. And I think a lot of us think we're further along than we really are. You know, hey, man, I've been walking with the Lord 20 years. Then why are you still like, uh, you know, <laughs> why are you still crying? <laughs> you know? Get off the milk and eat papas. <laughs> okay? Eat oatmeal. Eat, eat, and, um, you know, you have to actually start digesting the word yourself. People can't be spoon feeding you no more. You have to have your own walk with the Lord. We'll help you. Here, you know, shove that in your mouth, little baby. Quit crying. <laughs> yeah? Some people are more brutal than others. But you get fed, okay? Say, man, I got fed. But then, like, it's like, hey, well, you know, it's time to start making your own quesadillas, right? Because daddy has to go to work, and he ain't always going to be around. You're going to have to start cooking yourself. Oh, how do you do that? You chop this stuff up, and you put it on there, and you fry it. You got to know how to get into the word of God yourself, right? You're, you become sanctified through that process. Remember, daily disciplines turn into daily desires. Okay? Are you with me? Okay, you're sanctified not by your own work, though, okay? You don't get sanctified because of your own, like, yes, you do those things, but God is the one who sanctifies you. Look, it says, those who are called is sanctified by God the Father, and then what? Preserved. Do you think that you're going to spoil like some milk? 
God liked me today, but he might not like me tomorrow. No, he's going to preserve you for the future. And you're preserved in Jesus Christ. All right. Kind of look at that verse. Jude, he's a bond servant. Talked about sanctification. And there's preservation. Okay, those are different what we call in church doctrines. That, that just means teaching, guys. Don't, don't trip out. just means teachings. Sometimes you'll hear that word doctrine, right? And you'll be able to say, well, that just means teaching. Lean, lean to the person next to you. That just means teaching. I know this. You know? People will be, like, impressed. So, you know, what does he start off with the next verse? Two of my most favorite doctrines. Mercy and peace. Okay, mercy and peace. You can't have peace before mercy, right? It's very strategic the way he places it. There's first mercy because God is not giving you what you deserve. And through his mercy, you accept his mercy. You accept his grace. You have peace. They always do that in the Bible. They don't ever put peace before grace or peace before mercy. And, we, and a lot of times we get mercy and grace mixed up, right? Here, mercy, oh, it's kind of like grace. No, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy's not getting what you do deserve. The judge had mercy on me. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> we say that sometimes because we're like, God, please help me not kill this person. Right? Or is that just me? Am I the only psycho in the room? Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is a mark of a, of a fellow person who really loves other people. And you want to set your sights to become a person like that. You know, in the life of addiction or in the life of bondage, man, we're totally not like that. We're totally the opposite. Mercy, peace, and love. What's the opposite of that? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll? I don't know. Just, I'm about to go off right now. <laughs> Jump off. No, mercy, peace, and love. My life has been changed. And as much mercy, peace, and love as I've received, I hope it's 20-fold for you guys. You know? And it multiplies in our families. That's the only thing that, that mercy, peace, and love does. You know, you think about sin. Sin only cuts stuff out of your life. Bondage only cut you only lose. You're only ended up you only end up losing and losing and losing and losing as you stay in bondage to sin, right? And as we stay say in the deception. You only end up losing. Did, did you ever end up with more than you started off with? I didn't. I always ended up with less and less. We'll have some breakout sessions for to be able to deal with some um, deeper truths that maybe we don't want to share and maybe God wants us to share. So we'll have some breakout sessions to deal with different things. But know this. Don't run away from embracing the truth because you're only losing. With God, everything is multiplied. You gain. You gain. You never lose. God has never failed me. Maybe you're hurting. 
and you feel like, oh, man, I'm lost, God can give it to you back. However, I'm supposed to say it. You know what I mean? God can give everything and more. You know, Job lost all his family. And in the end, he got everything back and more. God can do that. He's sovereign. You know what sovereign means? It means he gets to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because he's God. And we don't get to complain about it because he's God. God is sovereign. He can make, a, he can make an executive decision. And it's always for the better for us. Sometimes when he stops us in our sin and we say, God, why did you do that? Like, so you don't kill yourself, dummy. Hi. Just, I'm trying to stop you, bud. And you're like going the other way. So lay down. Sometimes he gets us in a very funny way. God does have a sense of humor, am I right? You guys ever had a funny situation where you're just like, that can only be God. He starts off this book. He's very kind. And then he just totally dives off the deep end into some very heavy stuff, some very dark stuff. And it's not heavy or dark for us. It's just heavy and dark for those who end up deceived, those who end up walking away from the truth unchanged. It's hard to live in a lie, am I right? I, I talk to so many people, and they waste years and years of their life stuck in a lie. And, and then they say, man, I lived my whole life. It was a lie. My whole life was a lie. Man, I'm here to tell you Jesus wants to change that. You with me? Do you want that? Do you want change? Jude recognizes a very common thing that's common in our day to day. Deception. He says in verse 3, I was going to be very diligent to write to you about salvation, about how Jesus came and he died on the cross. And, you know, and of course, always go back to that. It all starts and ends at the cross. He's like, I was going to write another one of those kind of letters, but I found it very necessary, and, and you guys, I found it very necessary to talk to us and to, to bring this out. He says, I found it very necessary to write to you exhorting. That means strongly encouraging. An exhortation is a strong encouragement to listen, to hear, to open up your eyes, to open up your hearts. An exhortation. You'll receive numerous exhortations. I talk in exhortive language a lot for some reason. I don't know if I just have too much sugar at times or, and caffeine or what, but I seem to always just like, like, you know, it's almost like a football coach talking. You know what I mean? So as you get in the truth more, you exhort other people like, you should get in the truth too. This is good stuff, and you shouldn't walk away from this because if you do, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, we all need to, we need the truth. And you care for people, so you're going to encourage them to walk in the faith. He wants us to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, here's some more history, some more background. 
This is after Jesus died. This is the time the, the, the end times began when Jesus rose from the earth. The ascension, they call it. And after Jesus died, there's people who came in and they started saying false things about Jesus. Some people would say that, you know, Jesus, he didn't really die. Um, he, it just looked like he died. And of course, that's a lie. He really did die. And then he resurrected from the death. Right? They're saying, well, it looked like he died. He pulled a Houdini. He took some of that little snake charms, oil stuff, you know, and it slows down your heart to like one BPM, you know, like the spies use. He had some of that kind of stuff. He didn't really die. Or there's another lie out there after Jesus died. said, well, Jesus, he wasn't actually a man. He was like a spirit. He was like a ghost. So it just appeared as though he died, but he wasn't really a man. He was a ghost. Or some people said, well, he was just a man, but he wasn't God. You have to actually couple those things together. Jesus has to be fully man and fully God. He has to die in the flesh or else our salvation is not real. See, people do that. You know who does that? Jehovah's Witness, um, Mormons, uh, different groups like that. They have a different Jesus because they're explaining a different Jesus. Jesus, is he wasn't really a man. Well, our Jesus was. I don't know what Jesus you're talking about. You're talking about a different Jesus. Our Jesus is the Jesus who was fully man, fully God, and he really died. So unless we're talking about a different Jesus, and they, they do, they have a different Jesus, what they're doing is they're, they're bringing in lies. And that's the most subtle way to bring in a lie. That's the easiest way. to. It looks like a good lie. We're talking about Jesus, right? And people are, oh, Jesus? What about Jesus? You know, and they want to listen because Jesus is a, he's an intriguing man. Jesus is God. And if Jesus isn't God, then Jesus couldn't pay for your sins. Because God in the flesh, Jesus is the only one who had what it took to pay. The rest of us are done for. We're sinners, saved by his grace. He said, I, I, I need you guys to fight for that. I need you guys to fight for the truth. What does the truth do? It sets you free. People are bringing in lies. They're trying to fool me and you to thinking something else so that way we can stay in bondage. Do you like that? Somebody trying to trick you? I don't like anybody tricking me. Say, what? What kind of magic trick is that? You know? <laughs> My son fooled me the other day. Or like somebody came up and snuck behind me, man, and, uh, today, and they like got me, and I was going to kill that person. I go into like a little PTSD, just warning you, don't come and scare me because I snap. I'm like, <laughs> like that. Like, I look like I was in Nam or something, and I, you know, I wasn't even born when Nam was going on. So, but, but I, that kind of stuff happens with me for some reason. I, I'm trying to work on that, but just don't, don't scare me. You know, bottom line, don't scare me. 
I need you guys to fight for the truth in your life. And we're going to talk about some truth. Real quickly here, I have some a list, okay? A list, and we're gonna, I'm actually going to print this list out for you guys so you can have it next week. I don't have it this week. Here are some ways to deceive yourself, okay? Ways you wrongly defend yourself, and ways that you can be deceived by the world. So I'm going to start off with the ways that you can be deceived by the world. Here, here's the first one. The first one is believing that acquiring money and things will bring lasting happiness. Do you guys ever had that idea? What, if I had enough money and the right job, that'll make me happy. Right? That, that's actually a lie. Uh, look at, if that's you, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, or 1 Timothy 6.10. Okay? How about this? Believing that excessive food and alcohol can relieve your stress and make you happy. That's a very common one. Look at Proverbs 23 and 19 through 21. How about this? Believing that an attractive body and personality will get you what you need. If I could just look fit enough and strong enough and debonair enough. <laughs> Does anybody use the word debonair anymore? Proverbs 31.30 or 1 Peter 3.3-4. 3, 3 How about this one? Believing that gratifying sexual lust will bring lasting satisfaction. That is a lie. It will actually bring you further guilt and condemnation. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 or 1 Peter 2.11. How about this? Believing that you can sin and get away without any negative consequences. I can do this and just get away with it. Nobody's going to know. Hebrews 3, um, chapter 3, verse 12 through 13 says otherwise. There's going to always be a consequence even if nobody saw. There's a consequence for sin. You can't sin and get away with it without a negative consequence. It's going to happen. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to lose something. You're going to pay somehow. That's a fact. How about this one? Believing that you need more than what God has given you in Christ. That's a, that's a big one, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 4, or verses 13 and 15. Believing you can do whatever you want and no one can touch you. That's not true. Proverbs 16, 18. 1 Peter 5, 5. This is, this is like a prescription. See what I am right here? I'm a pharmacist, okay? You're sick, I got the prescription, Okay, you want to take it? That's up to you. You just drop that little truth pill and let it do what it does. Absorb it. How about this one? Believing that unrighteous people who refuse to accept Christ go to heaven anyway. <laughs> man, that's, that's we, we like to hear that, but man, I would like to I would like to agree with you on that one, but uh, but it just says otherwise in God's word. How about believing you can associate with bad company and not be corrupted? You know, I can just hang out with those people. I'm going to be like, are you the influencer or are you the one being influenced? Most likely, it's easier to pull someone down than it is to help someone up. Unless they want to walk up, <laughs> right? You walk up those stairs, right? Because people always can pull you down easier than you can pull them up. 
believing that you can read, see, or listen to anything and not be corrupted. Matthew 5.28. Proverbs 4.23-27. through 27. How about the next set of lists? Right? I mean, the next list, whatever. Ways to deceive yourself. You hear God's word, but you don't do what it says. James 1.22 says you, you be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, because you're only deceiving yourself. You hear it, oh yeah, that's good. You don't do it, you just fool yourself. You fall into self-deception. How about saying you have no sin? I didn't do that. Yeah, you did. Everybody in the world saw you do it. I still didn't do it. I don't even care if you got it on camera. I didn't do it. First John 1 John 1 8 says, you're deceiving yourself. How about thinking something you're really not? You're, you're someone that you really are not. You're, you're projecting yourself to be this person, but you're not really that person. You hope to be that person one day, and if I play my cards right, I'm going to be that person don't fool yourself. Just be who God made you to be, right? Because that person, you may not like that person. Nobody else might not like that person either that you're trying to be. God wants to make you into a person that people love, that God loves. How about thinking you're wise in this worldly age? Man, I can't, I'm smarter than the world. You can't defeat the world system can't defeat Satan. You're not smarter than Satan. You're not smarter than the world. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Thinking, and this is what a lot of people struggle with, thinking you can be truly religious but not bridle your tongue. What? Yeah, yeah, you little cussers out there, I know. I hear. Alright? Zip it. Okay? James one twenty two. Wait, thinking that God is the source of your problems. <laughs> oh, I'm touching some nerves there. Lamentations chapter 3. How about thinking you can live your life without the help of anyone else? Is that you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 20. I'm going to go through this last set here. And listen to me. Trying to help. I'm not trying to hurt you, but if I'm hurting you, praise God, it's the word of God and it's hitting you. <laughs> he wants to change you. Ways you wrongly defend yourself. Denial of reality. I, 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 don't refu I refuse to accept that. Well, guess what, bud? Guess what, pal? You really did that. Oh, man. But just accept that and just say, well, I have to. Face the facts. I have to face the truth. Or fantasy. Escaping reality. It's called escapism. You escape the truth by daydreaming, <laughs> TV, movies, music, computers, video, games, drugs, alcohol. Escapism. I'm going to my happy place. I'm going to my happy place. Whatever it is. <laughs> that's a fantasy. That's a way that you defend yourself and it doesn't work, right? Um, there's another one called emotional insulation. That's withdrawing from people or keeping people at a distance to avoid rejection. 
emotional insulation. I'm patting myself with stuff everywhere. That's called the rubber room. <laughs> they, they have that, you know, in case you have an emergency and you're trying to run your head into a wall or something. You know, don't do that. It hurts. People are here who can help you, right? Don't run away from uh, relationships. Go to relationships. Good ones, though, not bad ones. Bad relationships is another one. Displaced anger. That means we take out anger uh, or your frustrations on innocent people. You ever been the victim of that? Me, all the time. <laughs> you walk in like, yeah. oh, it's your fault or this. Uh, what? Me? Look at me. Do I look like I can do that? Don't answer that question, but <laughs> displaced anger. Uh, parents do it to their kids, and then they go away and they regret. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Or you're, you're doing it to somebody else, and, you, and you're angry, but you don't know how to, where to put it. You don't know what to do with this anger, so it comes out to the people you love the most. Projection, that's attributing to another what you find acceptable in yourself. And I, I say that often. I say, we, our sins look worse on somebody else. You know what I notice about that and I don't like about that guy? Me. <laughs> Me. I see myself in that person. That's why I don't like you. Maybe I should like you because I'm supposed to like myself, but I don't even like myself. Well, that's obviously, that's the wrong way of thinking, right? Rational, rationalization. That's simply just making excuses for your own poor behavior. Oh, it was because of this, because of that, you know. I mean, I rationalizing things, minimizing things, so that way you don't look so bad because you failed. That's not the right way to deal with things. We can deal with things better. There's better ways. Those are strongholds that God changes in our mind. You, you guys recognizing some of them? I'm sure you are. You don't even have to nod your head. I know. I know. Lying. You protect yourself by lying. You, you say, I will be safe and secure if I tell this lie. People won't talk to me anymore. You're hurting yourself. Or how about this? Blaming yourself when you're not responsible and others, you just blame. Yes. You know what? I'm going to take this one for the team. Or just plain old hypocrisy. Just presenting a false image. If you recognize any of those, I'm going to just give you a quick, quick prayer. You can just pray in your own mind. You ready? You want to say, like, I want to deal, deal with these things. I want to come out on the other side of this better. Just pray this prayer along with me, but mean it. Don't lie, you know. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have wrongly defended myself by whatever thing you brought up to my mind. Thank you for your forgiveness. I trust you to defend and protect me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's simple, guys. If you love the truth, if you want the truth, you have to recognize these things that God shows you as you notice yourself coming out of the old life and into the new life. You have to walk in it. Jude 
He's saying, let's, let's fight for the truth. You have to fight for it, guys. It's not going to be handed to you. You know, like you're in the nursing home and they're just handing out little sticks of cheddar cheese to everybody. You have to go and fight for your piece of cheese, okay? <laughs> it's how, I want one, I want one. <laughs> it's like, are you coming back with another tray? <laughs> you have to fight for it because people are cruel and they want to deceive you. So that way, because it's like the old saying, misery loves company. But guess what? Jesus loves your company better. He wants you to be in the truth. He wants you to be free. And that's just one step in the freedom to Christ. Embracing the deception that you've been in and walking in the truth. I've been deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I'm on this side now. I see the other side. I don't want to go to the other side. I want to break free. There's still some past that I bring along with that. Some, uh, you know, luggage. You got to unload it. And it all happens, guys, back at the foot of the cross. Can't continue to carry the luggage. Can't continue to stay the same, make the same decisions, guard yourself in the same way, defend yourself the same way, uh, lie to yourself, deceive, deceive yourself the same way. It all comes down to who is Jesus to you? Is he real? Because if he's real, that means that I'm going to have to change. And I think a lot of times that's why we run away from him. We say we want freedom, but in the end, we really don't want freedom because we're not done with our sin. I believe Jesus can give us a breakthrough. Tonight, you can make a decision to break, break away from sin. If you've been in sin, if you've been caught in that web of lies, that deception, the first thing you have to do is come to Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He can forgive you for all of that. You can't forgive yourself. You can't have enough of your own uh, works to save you from all your past sin. You can't. All you can do is acknowledge that you need him and that, that he has forgiveness for you to offer and you're willing to accept it. You're willing to put your trust in him and, and you're willing to admit, yeah, that was me, but I need forgiveness. I need your help. I need your cleansing. You promise that you can clean me because I feel dirty and I need to be clean. And they say that the blood of Jesus can cleanse me from all sins. And it takes confession, guys. Confession. You have to confess him as your Lord and Savior. If you confess him, he's faithful and just. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you have to confess. Jesus is saying, hey, you're a sinner and you need me. You need me to cleanse you. You can't do it. You've been trying the whole time and you're doing it on your own works. Why not tonight? Tonight's a good night. It's as good a night as any. Maybe you've seen things and, man, there's no depth of darkness that is greater than Jesus. There's no depth of the power of darkness is greater than Jesus. We don't fear the darkness at all. We're not afraid of it at all. He's removed that. We don't fear the darkness. They fear us. The darkness fears us. They run. I don't want to get saved. I'm talking about, <laughs> I want my sin. Keep your sin. Jesus loves you. And they're running. Man, you ever turn on the light and cockroach scattered? Jesus is turning on the light in your soul right now. <laughs> then now you got to go around and stomp out all the little cockroaches that are trying to hide. 
You know, you got to bust out the raid or whatever you use. And you do that through accepting Jesus. He comes in and he fills every area of your life up. Thank you.